This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome back to the Knowledge of Wharton podcast. I'm Rachel Kipp, Associate Editorial Director of the Knowledge of Wharton website. We're here today with Wharton Management Professor Britta Glennon. Her new paper looks at how restrictions on high-skilled immigration affect offshoring. Britta, thanks for being here. Happy to be here. So the paper focuses on an often overlooked aspect of the debate about high-skilled immigration. Can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Uh, so usually when we talk about uh, skilled immigration in the media um, or even in the broader academic literature, um, people tend to focus on what's the impact on, you know, the wages or the jobs of American workers. Um, And they also tend to focus on innovation outcomes of firms, right? And so that's usually how the debate is framed. Does skilled immigration take American jobs or does it improve innovation? Um, And so what I look at in my paper is that there's this kind of unforeseen additional consequence that's been completely left out of the debate, Um, which is that U.S. multinational firms actually have this alternative choice, which is that if they can't get the skilled immigrants that they want in the U.S., they can just hire them abroad instead at one of their foreign affiliates. Um, And so what this means is that actually um, proponents of restricting skilled immigration who are worried about saving American jobs, um, if it's true that instead they're just going to hire them elsewhere, then those restrictive policies can just backfire. So how did you test this? Um, So I basically exploited a policy change in 2004 um, that heavily restricted H-1B visas. Um, And I looked at basically what happened before and after that change. And what I saw was that there was this huge growth in um, foreign affiliate employment after that policy occurred. So in other words, once U.S. firms felt really constrained in terms of how many skilled immigrants they could hire. Um, As soon as they felt that constraint, they then started rapidly increasing uh, their employment at their foreign affiliates in response. So they weren't going back and hiring more people who already lived here. Instead, they were actually looking at locations offsite and hiring people there. Exactly. Now, was that foreign offices of the firm or was it people like other companies that they had a partnership with or both? So I only am able to look at foreign affiliates of the company. Um, However, there's sort of uh, there's a lot of angles that I'm not able to explore that I'd like to explore in future work. One of those could actually be partnerships, right? So perhaps rather than um, hiring more people at their foreign affiliate, they could instead contract out to a foreign firm, right? And what were some of the particular, were there particularly types of companies that were more likely to do this, like particular types of multinationals, particular industries, or was it across the board? Yeah, so I mean, you do see average effects overall, but you see the strongest effects in kind of these uh, R&D intensive uh, software IT firms, um, and in particularly in areas where you actually could offshore the services, right? So not all services can be offshored. Um, so those are, are the firms that you see it the most strongly in. And when they were doing this increase in foreign hiring and hiring overseas, were there particular countries that saw the biggest increase or again, was it across the board? Yeah. So the three countries that you see the biggest increase in is Canada, India, and China. Um, Now, there's likely a different mechanism happening there. So 
for example, with India and China, that's where the bulk of H-1B visas go to. And so you can view it as they're just going straight to where the talent is, right? So they're just opening up a foreign affiliate in China or India, hiring local talent there. In Canada, however, it's a little bit of a different story, um, which is that it could be actually the exact same worker, perhaps an Indian or Chinese worker, who was denied an H-1B visa in the U.S., and they could just hire them instead in Canada because Canada has much less restrictive immigration policies. Now, your results show that not only did this decrease in H-1B visas increase offshoring, it also had some significant impacts on innovation. So can you talk about those a little bit? Yeah. So I found that So I think a lot of times when people think about H-1B visas, they're worried that they're not actually high-skilled workers, right? So they're they're people doing kind of like low-level. I mean, maybe it's software, but it's like not very innovative software. It's like back-end software. Um, And so one of the things I wanted to test was were the jobs that were moving abroad um, in kind of innovative areas where you would actually be really concerned about that job going abroad instead, Um, So if you're really interested in like the spillover effects that come from innovative work happening in the U.S., um, if that's happening abroad instead, then that has serious policy implications. Um, And so what I found was actually there was an increase in foreign affiliate patenting in response to restrictions on skilled immigration as well. And so that tends to indicate that it wasn't just kind of these low-level jobs moving abroad. It actually was these skilled, innovative types of jobs that were going abroad. And one thing you mentioned in the paper is that it's not even that if the if the H one B if these workers are never able to move here, that then the innovation is happening wherever they do end up. That you find out that it might actually not be happening at all. That's also a possibility. Yeah. So I I, I haven't been able to show that part definitively yet, um, but it's it's very possible that um, some firms once they're not able to do it in the U S. just kind of give up on that activity and shift to something else. So this, I mean, I know you said you, you, t- you looked at a policy change from 2004, but this is obviously still a huge part of the immigration debate. Yeah. What would you say are the key implications here, both for companies, but also for policymakers, as, I mean, especially as the 2020 election heats up and people continue to talk about this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, number one, um, skilled immigration restrictions may not actually give more jobs to American workers. Um, and in fact, it may accelerate um, firms moving abroad. Um, and often the, the same people who are critics of um, immigration are also critics of you know, offshoring manufacturing. And so, in fact, they're actually uh, causing the very thing that they're worried about. Um, so I think just policy-wise, skilled immigrants are a good thing. <laughs> and uh, if you're going to try and restrict them, there can be some unforeseen consequences. Um, and so they should be aware of those unforeseen consequences when making policies. Um, And for businesses, you know, I just think that it's um, an example of how firms can get around uh, artificial constraints, right? Their firms are really creative in the way that they can uh, rearrange their their operations and get around uh, these constraints. And so this is one example of that. Um, And I, I suspect based on also some interviews with firms, that even firms who maybe haven't offshored yet are uh, now considering doing so as H-1B policies get more and more restrictive. And under the current administration, they have gotten much more restrictive. And what's next for this research? So I'd I'd really like to explore um, some of the other strategies that firms use in response to um, skilled immigration restrictions. So 
Um, this is sort of one of many possible responses. I mean, so for example, domestic firms don't have this option, right? And so what do they do? I mean, perhaps they form more partnerships with uh, universities or nonprofits because they don't have the same H-1B restrictions. Um, perhaps they shift into more capital-intensive industries since they can't get the labor they need. Um, perhaps they contract out to a foreign firm. Um, perhaps they fail, right? And so there's um, a lot of uh, alternative strategies that firms could be using in response to um, these skilled immigration restrictions. And I'd really like to build out that full picture and understand the full range of responses that firms can have. Britta, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. You can find all of Knowledge at Wharton's articles, podcasts, and more on our website, which is knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. You can find the Knowledge at Wharton podcast and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or your other favorite podcasting platform. If you like what you hear, please leave us a comment or a review. It really does help like-minded folks to find the show. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.